it's Chase from On The Table Gaming. And before we start this episode, we wanted to give a quick shout out. Now, as you know, On The Table Gaming is a Patreon-funded setup and exists solely thanks to the generosity of the community. And that allows us to follow our passions and not really be beholden to any one particular group. But that being said, as our recent Lannister podcast episode skyrocketed us to rank six on the games podcast category for Poland, beating out all their English language podcasts, take that critical role who came in at 13. Watch out, we're coming for you. With that in consideration, we'd like to take the time to thank the Polish community for their support of both On The Table Gaming and A Song of Ice and Fire's miniatures game. So today's unofficial sponsor is Poland. It's of course well known that Poland is home to the best of Song of Ice and Fire players. And as they say, all the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the Polish children are above average, allegedly. Poland, it's the free folk of Europe. Now with that being said, let's jump back into our episode and talk about A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. Today we're looking at the Visions in the Flames Article 16 with the full reveal of the House Greyjoy launch units for Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. And today I'm joined by Simon game designer Michael Chanel and lead developer Fabio Curry. Fabio and Michael, are you ready to talk some Greyjoys? Aye, aye. I'm not playing that <laughs> game. I'm out. Bye. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, come on. Here we go. This, so this is exciting. We've been anxiously awaiting for the Greyjoys, and they're getting closer here. And now we get to talk about um, the kind of remaining pieces that we didn't really know that are all going to be available when this set comes out. So, you know, for those people who are just tuning in now, maybe you're thinking about jumping into a Song of Ice and Fire. You're like, hey, Greyjoy, look cool. The coolest thing about this, I think, is that we're going to see not only the core set, but a bunch of other units become available at once. So you're going to have so many options. And so let's start in actually by talking about one of the units that we didn't know about. And the timing on this is perfect because, you know, a lot of places are putting up pre-orders. And I was trying to figure out, you know, do I want to have, you know, one or two of these Ironborn Trappers? I'm thinking maybe two is the way to go. Let's talk about Ironborn Trappers and how you see them uh, in their design, what, what role you see them playing in the, the larger Greyjoy faction. Uh, well, the Trappers, I think they're essentially a support piece, right? They come in pretty cheap, but they really can't take that hard of a punch with their 6-plus and 8-plus defense and morale. But their great advantage is their disruptability and their trapper's tools. Um, the trapper's tools depend on pillage tokens, and you'll notice they don't really have the best attack profile, but they can gain pillage through other means, right? Um, either through the Ironborn Bowmen and and other things that we'll talk even today, so, later. So they they can get pretty powerful later in the game, if they survive. And they seem to be kind of like a key support unit then? Would that be maybe the role you'd see them in? Yeah, that's exactly it, right? They're not going to do anything by themselves, but if you double down them and any other unit, they will be very disruptive. Yeah, essentially like the role of these guys is they're your, they're your cheap, like, you know, distraction unit that the opponent just kind of has to deal with, even though they don't really want to. That's their role in the army. Uh, as Fabio said, they're not going to really do a whole lot on their own because they're, they just don't have that much that they're pushing out. But they are there to just support your other units. This is one of those ones that if you spam a bunch of them, yeah, you're going to have a bunch of like cheap guys and activations, but they're not really going to do a whole lot. Even when these guys are powered up, Like their killing potential is more just going to be on par of other things. This is really one of those units that I feel like you want to run one or two of. And they kind of like feel feel that same support role that I think that the uh, the Ironborn Bowman would. I can see definitely running one unit of each of those as like kind of a your support like foundation for the rest of your actual units. Oh, fantastic. 
And uh, we've seen the sculpts of those before, and they look fantastic. So I'm, I'm really excited to get those in my hands and on the table. But let's also talk about some of the other really amazing stuff in the Greyjoy's Hero Box 1. And this is the first time that a faction launches with an entire Hero's Box at their disposal. So they're going to have lots of options. Now, we have talked in the past about some of these Greyjoy characters. So be sure to go back and check out that episode uh, as well. But here, let's talk about some of the ones that we haven't seen yet. So we've got, for example, uh, Wendemir. We've got Eric Ironmaker as a, ca a commander. We've got Newt. And of course, we've got Theon Greyjoy and Euron Greyjoy. Uh, so let's go. We'll do Euron last. I feel like he's he's pretty cool. We got we to gotta build up to it. Let's start talking um, right off the bat with maybe Theon Greyjoy. So he's got an attachment as a Kinslayer, a two-point attachment. And we've also got his commander version. So what are you trying to capture with this character as far as playstyle? Like, how are you translating this character from the books into the game? So Theon here, we have two different versions of him. And this is, of course, different than the Reek version we see in the uh, with Ramsey and the neutrals. <laughs> just, just a little different. <laughs> this represents Theon when he first came back to, you know, the house and was basically doing that whole siege on Winterfell and taking that over and really had high hopes for the future <laughs> before uh, the unfortunate bits happened to him. So when you have the attachment version, the Kinslayer, you have him representing his kind of like, well, what he thinks is like his sly nature. But really, it's more just kind of like that recklessness, which is why he has reckless heroism, because, you know, he just charges in. He takes Winterfell. He doesn't really have a plan. He's just there to try to impress his father. And that's kind of what that attachment represents. Meanwhile, you have the commander version, the Prince of Winterfell, you know, representative of when he's actually taken over Winterfell and he's kind of holding it. And this is kind of speaking to Theon's kind of shifty and sly nature at that time. Again, more so the perception of what he felt he was getting, uh, <laughs> he was capable of. And this is represented by the cards that he has, such as Diversion Tactics and Opportunist. But then you also have Stark Exposure, which, against my better judgment, <laughs> is actually a, a Fabio-created pun here. I remember that very distinctly because I hated it and still hate it to this day. That was teased at Simon Expo, yeah. I got one in, guy. Which represents the influence that these Starks had over him. So, you know, Theon at his core, you know, he was raised by the Starks. He was raised under Eddard. Uh, he still had this kind of, like, noble upbringing to, like, be honorable. But he, he is a Greyjoy. And that's kind of the conflicting nature of the character was that, you know, he, he wanted to impress his father and the ideals of the, the Greyjoys, which, uh, again, uh, they're raiding civilization. You know, that's what they do. So he was trying to embrace that this time. And therefore, he's trying to just, you know, it's like, well, what would a coastal raider do here? And that's representative of him doing that. So when you play Theon, he's going to give you that play style of just being kind of sly, kind of tricksy. But really, the things that he's doing are more just I, I think opportunist really embodies what he's playing against when he's getting his opponent in a weak position, then he's able to capitalize on that. He's not really making any of these like, you know, dastardly or diabolical plans here. He's just kind of taking advantage of situations as they come up. And that's represented by his tactics, cards and play style. Yeah, actually, even in addition to that, to that, you'll notice that he has in his commander version and has mobility and in his attachment, Swift Strike. And these are very Stark abilities, let's say. They're not exclusive to Starks, but they are predominant there. So that also kind of shows his um, military upbringing, right? Where he was taught by Sir Roderick, just as all the other Stark children. And, you know, I mentioned a bunch of names there, and I, I realized I did skip over people like uh, some of the smaller 
characters uh like newt the barber as well you know i love the quote that glory is good but gold is better so he's a one point attachment now this is a really interesting character in that being victarian's vassal you get to count as being victarian when using tactics cards so when his when his unit is targeted you know he's going to get those benefits that victarian would generally get and he can when he's targeted by the zone you know he gets to uh, perform an additional attack action is it kind of fun going through the Greyjoys? I know they got a lot of these like smaller, interesting characters. It was kind of fun going through and trying to like pull from the text bits to kind of enhance your your hero boxes. Is there like a way you even approach balancing out a hero box? Like obviously you got Euron in here. Do you feel like sometimes you have to like spread out or sprinkle in lesser characters? And you know, how do you approach that? I don't think there's a have to in that sentence, really. This is we get to because when it comes to like the world of Song House and Fire, it's huge. Like they're Tons and tons of characters, and especially for those who just like might have just seen the TV series and not read the books. There's so many pe- uh, people that were omitted, combined, and this really gives us a chance to really deep dive into the setting and bring about some of those cooler characters. The two ones that are like constantly brought up by fans are House Greyjoy and House Martell, because the roster of both of those is just massive. And something we get to do here when it comes to the just the design is bring in those lesser characters that people might not know about or that the ones that read the books get to go, oh man, I remember that guy. Or in some cases, like uh, Carl, uh, who was, you know had a major plot point with Asha, and Asha, who has greatly expanded. Well, I guess she got touched on in like the series as well, but she had a much more expanded role throughout the books. You know, just being able to develop those a little bit more than what my, people might see. You know, that rewards the fans who are the ones who are like, I read through the book series. I've got my favorite characters. You know, and seeing these little minor ones come up. You know, it's just almost like a little Easter egg. So not only do we get to do something that the really hardcore fans like, but then the ones that are just coming into the setting, you know, they can go like, man, this this character seems really interesting. Let me go and look at them some more. So, for example, with Carl, you've got Asha's champion and the maid. How does one come about maybe sometimes deciding, like, we're going to have two characters for this one instead of just one? What's that decision process like? That's really very, like, case by case. I, I hate saying that because it seems I'm just throwing away your question, but it is. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Carl's case, he had, let's say... Uh, enough lore to justify him having two and that also reflected in a mechanical standpoint right so it made sense lore and mechanically um in newt's case that wasn't really necessary right he already could bring everything we thought would be interesting to the faction and would still justify him existing in one single attachment fantastic and we had already seen the ncu version of Eric Ironmaker. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what he brings with his tactics cards. And, you know, how do you kind of envision someone who gets carried around by his men in a chair? uh, You know, how do you kind of envision him playing out tactically on the battlefield? I mean, aside from being a complete boss because he gets carried around in a chair. (laughs) Is that that a life goal there, Michael? Are you like, or does that already happen? Is that Fabio? You can, you know, wink once if... I can't stand even being like the passenger in a car, much less, you know, being carried around all the time. Fair enough. Prefer a sled. Is that like much? <laughs> uh, yes, obviously, I, I prefer a sled. That's that's how it works. I mean, I, I, I know the people's opinions of like what Canada actually is, is different than the reality of it. But yes, it's basically just a bunch of, you know, dog sleds and people sleds. That's that's our Uber <laughs> up here. Uber sleds. Fair enough. <laughs> Eric really ties in with what we said about the trappers, that they needed some sort of engine to go on and and that trappers were in a in a sense a cog 
of the whole Greyjoy arsenal. And because he he's the ca- the commander that's going to bolster most of your pillage mechanics, right? So he brings in pillage tokens to the game. He moves them around. So um, what's really interesting with him is he's really tactical in a sense that once the battlefield is set up, you go, okay, where where do I need an extra little bonus at the start of the game just to give me that edge? I love that. And his cards reflect that, and his commander attachment abilities really reflect that as well. I love that, too, because it comes across as like kind of subtle, right? Where you can be like, I can remove a pillage token here, I can block some hits. Over there, maybe I can make them, you know, uh, re-roll or get precision or vicious. Or maybe here you're doing it with passing a panic test. Uh, just knowing like, and it's going to be a really fun thing to be like, to know where you want to spread out your pillage tokens and when you want to spend them, right? Because you're removing it. You're also losing the buff on that unit then. But you're, you're making a trade off there being like, you know, what? I need to block these hits. And so it's worth it in this instance. We also noticed that sometimes you might end up, if you're lucky and smart, having these this excess of pillage tokens, right? Where you would gain one, but you're already capped at two. So... Um, if you play smart, you can regain them really quickly. And that's fantastic. And it's cool. I love that Greyjoys are kind of shaping up to be so cerebral as a faction. And I think maybe nowhere is that more captivated than, you know, for me, at least it speaks to me is in Euron Greyjoy. And so he looks like he's going to bring all sorts of mind games and fun to the faction as a commander. This had to be a fun character to design. Uh, any, uh, I know you guys are basing everything off the books. Any inspiration from the uh, show? Uh, is he going to randomly show up and uh, kill a dragon or something? Oh, spoilers. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I, I don't want to comment too much about TV show, you know, uh, personas and receptions and everything. But something I will say, and this is just kind of an outspoken thing in the fan community, that... The depiction of Euron Greyjoy in the TV show is just a complete travesty. <laughs> and I have no problem openly saying that because he is one of the most methodical and dangerous figures in the entire series because he is smart, cunning, absolutely insane, and can back all that up. In the TV show, he's kind of played like, uh, I guess, Song of Ice and Fire Joker. Mm. except not in the good ways I just described. (laughs) Uh, He just comes across as more insane pirate than he does methodical mastermind. Like I would never put him in charge of anything uh, except for like when it comes to sniping dragons out of the sky, he is really good at uh, that until he's not. But when it comes to the character, you're talking about a guy who has ambitions to become a God has spent the last X number of years exiled collecting mysterious and magical artifacts has Bobby, proven to sound like them. anybody you know <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <can> I? <laughs> i'm just going to assume that that's going to be edited out you know obviously and that i'm not going to hear this when i when i listen through this obviously of course so when it comes to Euron in game you have his commander version and then you have his attachment version both of these are representing like you know different facets of him where with his uh, attachment version you have just like, okay, this is more representative of the fact that he's got some like cool but super dangerous artifacts that he is uh, bringing into the, the, the fray here. So he's going to buff a unit, but you're going to be really paying a cost for that. Meanwhile, his commander version is all about just messing with your opponent. 
I mean, that should be obvious by his commander cards of cunning, ploy, devious methods, and mind games, where he is just about messing with your opponent's plans and then capitalizing on them. This is not going to be an easy commander for people to pilot. Uh, it's He's not straightforward like Victarion, who's just going to go forward and kill stuff. He's not as straightforward as like Asha, who is just, oh, I look at her and I go, oh, my guys are going to get buffed. But Euron's the type of commander that that certain mindset of player is going to go like, oh, I get to do this. That's the type of mentality that's going to be really drawn to playing with Euron here, where it's just like, I've got all these effects that are just going to disrupt my opponent and cause chaos. And if my opponent is not willing to adapt around that or doesn't have the capabilities to do so, their entire plan is going to crumble. He is going to really punish those opponents that lock themselves into a battle plan. And then if that plan doesn't work, they just don't know what to do. You have to be able to adapt against Euron because he's insane. He can adapt very well because he probably has a plan, but it's also that plan might involve slaughtering half of his guys. And frankly, who plans around that? I mean, just mind games alone, that card. Start of a friendly turn, target one tactic zone. The next time that zone is claimed this round, after resolving that zone's effect, the player who did not claim the zone may immediately activate that zone's effect. That's just uh, really interesting. And there's just a lot of just like really cool cards in here that are, you know, variations or things that maybe we haven't necessarily even seen. Uh, I love it. This is a, he's going to be a maniacal, uh, a maniacal dude here. And I know, I know people are excited to see him. Yeah. So are we. <laughs> so are you? Yeah. Is it, you, you know, I know you, you can't, it's like, I'm a teacher. I know you, you don't have a favorite student or anything like that, but there are some when you're like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, um, also, I also like to mention devious methods which is one of his cards where he can actually claim a, a card from your opponent's discard, right? And I believe that's also really an amazing ability because he's actually obtaining powers that you would never expect a Greyjoy to have, right? And he, it can go pretty wild. Oh my gosh, that's insane. That's so crazy. I'm trying to look over here and quickly look at my, my uh, Endless Horde card. But uh, just be like, what? But uh, see how it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't work. You got to be careful. You got to make sure your devious plans align with what other cards let you do. So, but man, finally, then we did leave out. I skipped over poor little uh, Wendemir, a maester of House Greyjoy at four points. And he starts off with an order token at the start of a friendly turn. You can remove one order token from Wendemir. If you do, you get to pick an option, draw one tactics card and restore two wounds to a friendly combat unit or a friendly combat unit can perform a three-inch shift and when he claims a zone you may replace that zone's effect with place one order token on wendemir so it allows him to kind of resupply as he's going through the game uh, i love the way you're kind of playing around with the order tokens more on these effects so what's really cool here and what we managed to do through these order tokens and the way they're placed is that wendemir is basically banking you an action right sometimes the tactics board is crowded or you don't want to really pick some zones, but you want to deny your opponent. There's there's a lot of stuff that can go on on the taxes board, right? And by placing the order tokens or removing them, um, you can actually do effects that are similar to the ones on the tactics board, but they're a little bit more spread out, right? With the drawing and restoring wounds, drawing cards and restoring wounds. And what's really cool as well is that you can remove the order tokens at the start of a turn. So you can actually use Wendemir on, let's say, the crowns, and then you you gain an order token. 
And then at the start of the next turn, you can already move your unit. So it doesn't really bank through rounds necessarily. It can bank during the same round, if that makes sense. That's fantastic. And it's going to open up a lot more. It's like another variable to be aware of being like, okay, they're just out of range. It's going to be really difficult for them to make that charge. But, you know, if he spends that order token, how many has he got? You know, where am I being threatened here? Or is he going to be able to up and resupply their hand? I love these choices. It looks like he's going to be a really useful piece, too. And I, I know the Greyjoy faction is still kind of, we've got all the pieces now here. People are going to start to theory craft. We're going to start playing some games and, and thinking about, okay, well, how does, this, how does this work out? But it seems like he'd be a really compelling choice to take. Uh, he speaks to me, at least. I'm excited to, to test him out. I'm a big fan of him because of the utility that he brings. Uh, I'm a big fan of utility effects in general, but that's what you'll see of a lot of the Greyjoy guys is that when it comes, like, they, they've got healing as a baseline, like, effect in their faction, but when it comes to, like, tactics, uh, card manipulation, they do have a couple options, but Windermere is kind of going to be your one for just getting you more resources versus another option like Roderick, which is just going to allow you to kind of cycle through your deck, so while they do similar things, they do them in different ways where, you know, you get to basically pick which variety you want or double down on it if you want to take both. Yeah, and we'll still maintain it like faction identity. It's still like, you know, it, it's not the same, but it rhymes. And, and that's that's really cool. These people are going to be shipping off soon. Soon we'll be we'll having Greyjoys landing on the shores of Westeros. It's going to be a, a big upheaval and, uh, you know, many new battles to come. How does it feel like, you know, coming to the end of a cycle like this where you work on something for so long and then you see it, you know, being sent out into the wilds for people to actually enjoy. Uh, I know, you know, you're, you're, you know, Michael in particular, but Fabio, well, you guys have worked in this industry for a while and you've gone through this many, many times. But is there a certain kind of joy in, in seeing something that you had in your mind get translated into something that people can actually like play and move around? Yeah, that's really amazing. And actually, this one was a really big change and I was involved from the start. So it really has a personal connection to me where I could see the whole recycling process being done. And that was really, really interesting. And I hope that we hit the mark. Um, I see a lot of positive comments um, on the Internet. And that's really a, a bonus, right? Because, you, you know, the Internet and we're not always expecting <laughs> really great remarks. But the community is so positive that it really mo motivates me, at least. But you, Michael. Um, well, you know, this is the Greyjoys are one of my like favorite like factions from the actual books, and so seeing them translate to the tabletop and really seeing the visual aesthetics of them that's something I, I really liked is that I think that our artists over like Big Child creatively they just do a fantastic job on everything. Since you know, like Chase, I know that you're such a big fan of the Free Folk, and it really feels like every single wave of releases that whenever we have a new faction that they just kind of like design and send as the art pieces for, it's always like, wow, that's the best thing I've ever seen. And then the next thing comes out, it's like, wow, that's the new best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's just kind of this cycle that keeps going. But seeing this, like the combined effects of like this, you know, the gaming aspect of things, the hobby side of things with the army coming out, these are all just really exciting to see. And frankly, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next coming months, you know, when people have actually gotten their stuff and have actually started painting it up and getting these on the, I, I, I just, I really want to see like the kind of dioramas and basing like the tray basing that people come up with this stuff, like, you know, seaweed or like rocks or like shoreline. I mean, just, just think about that compared to like what we've seen in some of the other armies where, you know, you don't necessarily have a coastal theme that you're going to have. And then we have that here. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Fantastic. Well, we look forward eagerly to uh, being able to showcase our painted miniatures. And that reminds me, we did have a lot of people submit some Night's Watch images as well as the suggestions for things they want to see covered. 
we are kind of compiling all of that and, uh, you know, organizing them. There's a lot of people showing great things and giving some feedback. And so that might be something we could address in a future episode. You know, with that, we'll make it kind of maybe a shorter episode this week as we got to see a lot of the grade year beforehand. But I'm excited. I think now there's enough pieces out here that we get a fuller picture. So I think it's going to be time now for everyone to sit down, kind of theory craft. If you got some cool lists or ideas for how you want to play Greyjoys, drop those down in the comments, as well as any cool synergies and combos, because we're going to have to learn how to play this faction together. It's going to be really exciting to, you know, kind of do that, go through that process, right? And making those mistakes and finding cool combinations and, and really learning them from the ground up. Thank you guys so much for coming on. And in the meantime, I hope you get your miniatures on the table. <laughs>